now, time for seafood news. Welcome back. You're listening to the Seafood News Podcast. I'm Seafood News staff writer Amanda Buckle. And I'm seafood market reporter Lauren Castiglione. This week's episode is brought to you by Erna Berry's Seafood Import Workshop, taking place in Boston on Thursday, October 18th. The Seafood Import Workshop is a unique opportunity for businesses to discuss the variety of compliance requirements faced by the U.S. seafood importers. From federal laws to voluntary certification requirements, the workshop speakers present and discuss best management approaches to raising the bar and meeting the intent of the law. Visit earnerberry.com SIW for more information. So we have to kick things off with a terribly sad story. The southern resident killer whale J-50, also known as Scarlet, is believed to be dead. I can't take any more of these whale deaths, Amanda. I know. I like. I don't. Like. I want to stop. I really them. can't. But it's like it's like important, and it kills me. Um, you know, and it, it, like I said, it tore me apart this morning. And for those who are unfamiliar with J-50, she was an emaciated and ailing three-year-old killer whale from the J-Pod that scientists were monitor- monitoring. Yeah, she was from the same pod as J-35, the whale that carried her dead calf for over two weeks. Another devastating Mm -hmm. story. I can't handle it. Um, But updates from NOAA on J-50 began in early August. And on August 9th, after several spottings, a response team, including a veterinarian from the Vancouver Aquarium, was able to conduct a visual assessment. Um, They were able to obtain a breath sample to assess any infection, and they administered antibiotics through a dart. And the team continued to monitor her behavior and interaction with her pod for the next few days, and ultimately were able to proceed with an experimental live fish release in an effort to treat J50 with medication and supplements. So eight live hatchery salmon were released 75 to 150 yards in front of her, but biologists were unable to confirm if she took the fish. So the researchers collected uh, fecal samples in an effort to see whether the whales were eating, what they were eating, and more information. But unfortunately, the researchers were unable to confirm if that sample actually came from J-50 or just other whales in her pod. So while they couldn't determine that the sample was from J-50, the test results did show a parasite which could penetrate the stomach lining of an emaciated whale like J-50. So in J-50's case, the parasite could have introduced a bacterial infection to the bloodstream or its internal organs. Uh, So like we mentioned earlier, the researchers couldn't confirm that J-50 had the parasite, but they did update her treatment to include antibiotics and a dewormer in an effort to reduce the bacterial and parasitic burden on her system and help her regain the weight that she lost. Yeah, so by the end of August, it actually looked like she was doing better, and on September 3rd, organizations uh, reported sightings of J-50 with her pod. Um, you know, despite still being emaciated, she seemed active and engaged in the group. So it was everything was looking good. And then, you know, just a couple of days later, on September 8th, she was back to lagging a half a mile behind the rest of her family. So on September 13th, just a couple of days ago, Noah reported that J-50 had not been seen in several days of favorable conditions and sightings of her pod and family group. And the last report was that teams were actively looking for her, but like I said, it's not really looking good. And um, Ken Balcombe, he's with the Center for Whale Research in Washington State. He basically said that there's no chance that she'll be found alive. And it's unfortunately likely that her remains sunk because she didn't have uh, a significant blubber layer and that her lungs wouldn't hold much air to float the carcass. Uh, But with that said, NOAA and Fisheries and Oceans Canada haven't given up hope. You know what? I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I don't want to either. Like, I don't know why I'm so invested in this story, but I just, like, I want it to have a happy ending. It just, it's Well, yeah, I'm sure horrible. everybody does. It just tugs at your heartstrings after all of these, yeah. all these happenings. 
Um, but hopefully it will shed some light on the fact that these whales are struggling to find food. And while it may not have a happy ending, hopefully um, this will help the salmon restoration programs in Canada and the U.S. For sure. But moving on, massive Canadian buying of lobster is keeping prices steady in Maine despite the loss of the Chinese market. When the Chinese lobster tariffs of 25% went into effect on July 6th, many feared an immediate reaction in Maine leading to lower prices. But that has not happened. During the first six months of the year, lobster exports to China from Maine were booming. Many feared that the sudden cutoff of these exports would crash the market. So during January to the July period, Maine shipped 3, billion, uh, 3 million pounds of live lobster to China in 2016, 5.6 million in 2017, and nearly 12 million in 2018. So to have such sudden growth suddenly halted like that is like an airplane aborting a takeoff. But the lobster market is much bigger than just China, and it appears that other fundamentals in the market, such as a strong demand for both live and lobster tails, uh, shortages of product, and average landings are all supporting current pricing. The increase in main shipments to Canada that occurred this past July is actually normal. The July 2018 exports are similar to 2016 when there were no tariffs. There is no question that the tariffs have put the Canadian side of the lobster industry in the catbird seat. Canadian shippers can allocate their product without restriction and are now the first option for buying uh, for lobster buyers in both Asia and Europe. But the largest market for Canadian lobsters continues to be the U.S. In this market, the story is that processor caution on packing meat entails due to difficulties in the last two years is still the dominating trend. Thanks, Lauren. We've also got an update on the Chinese red swimming crab meat market. Uh, China's pasteurized crab meat market looks to be performing outside of the normal cyclical import behavior. Imports out of China for the month of July were over 736,000 pounds, which is 12.2% higher than the previous month and 74% higher in comparison to July 2017. Year-to-date, Chinese pasteurized uh, imports are 38.3% higher. New season product is being caught right now and will hit the U.S. market in about a month. Once harvested in China, products take about six weeks on the water before it reaches the U.S. market. In regards to pricing, the red swimming crab meat market out of China has experienced increasing prices. Market participants report that inventories are thin ahead of the new season product, and pricing on colossal red, uh, red crab meat can be seen rising steadily. Compounding the already thinning inventories is, of course, talk of the imposed tariffs on Chinese products, and many uh, market participants mentioned that if tariffs are enacted, pricing will continue to rise. However, when discussing whether there would be a jump in the marketplace from red to blue, or even blue down to red as the red swimming crab market, uh, meat market prices approach the blue swimming crab meat uh, prices on some grades, uh, market participants believe there should there would not be a jump. So most report that crab meat users would continue to use either the red or blue swimming crab meat they are currently using. The taste profile between the two is quite different, and the applications for both red and blue swimming crabs are not easily interchangeable. The spread between the red and blue swimming crab meat markets continues to be significant. For over a year now, all throughout 2017, the spread between red and blue colossal crab meat has been significantly wider than in past years. At its highest point, it jumped up to $14 a spread. Uh, prior to the 2000 leap, historically, the market has seen a $4 to $6 spread between the two. Currently, the market sits at about an $8 spread between Colossal Red and Blue Swimming Crab Meat, which is approaching a more historical trend. $14 spread, that is, I feel like that's huge. Yeah. Uh, but moving along, we've got some great news for our seafood fans who are also into gaming. Oh, phew. <laughs> Is that you, Amanda? That's me. <laughs> Not <laughs> at all. Big gamer. <laughs> Not at all. 
The world's first aquaculture video game is out. Aquaculture was created by two aquaculture genetics researchers in an effort to get people interested in the whole process. I like the name a lot. It's it's a little hard to say. Aquaculture. It sounds it's, fancy. Yeah, with a K. Uh, so it's a sustainable aquaculture game that allows you to create a farm, feed your fish, and make other decisions to ensure that your farm succeeds without having a negative impact on the environment. The game was inspired by SimCity and Farmville. It's a free game, so look it up. Yeah, um, like I said, I'm not a huge <laughs> gamer, but if it means I get to play games while at work, I think I can get on board, you know? Yeah, for sure. But like, uh, <laughs> so so uh, we went to Vegas um, in April for uh, the Ernaberry's Executive Conference, and mm-hmm. that's when I figured out like how big gaming is for like some of these people in the office. And so like, we're in Vegas, like you can do anything you want, and uh, some of the group of the guys I was with from Ernaberry, they found at the hotel this like gaming room and they like were there any second that they weren't working, they were in this room playing video games. Where all the other parents dropped their fourteen-year-old kids <laughs> yes. off. That's while where Underberry's adult workers were, were hanging out. It's just like it's nuts. But I'm like, on so on one hand, I think this game's kind of cool because maybe it, like it'll attract the interest of like somebody who's like, no, I'm into gaming, but yeah. you know, let me fool around with this. But like like I said, I like I'd be interested in testing out. And plus, like if anybody catches me at my desk playing a game, I could be like, this is work related, yeah. <laughs> right? How dare you? <laughs> you know, can't exactly be said for like any of the other games out there. I can be playing like Fortnite, and right? Be like this is work related. Yeah. So. <laughs> and so that wraps up our show for the week. Once again, this week's episode was brought to you by Ernaberry Seafood Import Workshop. Visit ernaberry.com/siw. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.